Thanks for joining us on the podcast today. If you have questions about our church or following Jesus, feel free to reach out to us at info at theplantchurch.org. Now, here's today's message. How's everybody doing this morning? Good? Good? Yeah? Just really loved uh, the posture of worship uh, we were just in. And um, there's just something very beautiful about being able to hear not only all of God's people singing, but also the sounds of, like, children running around. I remember growing up, that was, like, whenever children would run around in the back, you always hear the mom, shh. <laughs> you always hear that, shh. But it's just something so precious about when we have the opportunity to hear uh, not only children worshiping, but to hear their laughter, hear their joy. And it's part of the reason why I love doing youth ministry. But when you've been in church for a long time, for some of us that have grown up in church, we also know that there's the beautiful sides of church and there's the ugly sides too. I remember... When I first uh, stepped into ministry, it was about a couple, well, like a couple years in, maybe two or three years. Um, there was a little drama going, going on in church. And, you know, being the youth pastor, no one tells the youth pastor anything. No one tells the youth. He's, he's the youth guy, right? Like, don't, he's, he's taking care of the kids. And I just remember one day, a lot of drama was going on. I knew something was going on, but I was like, I don't want to butt my head into, you know, maybe like church politics and all that. And I just hear whispers, it's getting, it's, it's getting a little worse. It's getting a little worse. And I remember we had a, uh, in my old church, uh, we would have youth group service, same way we would have uh, service like this, worship and a message. The youth group would have their own sanctuary. And I remember this was like, like the prime time in which my youth group was like blowing up. It was like blowing up. And after service, there was this sixth grader that had just come up. And for those past like two, three years, he was excited because his older siblings were in youth group. And he was hearing all these things. And he was so excited to be here in youth group. And I remember him just coming up. He was like ready to jump in. I've only been there for about like two months or so. Comes up to me and says, Pastor Paul, well, I guess this is it. And I was a little bit confused as to what he was talking about. And it was like, yeah, my family's leaving. And I remember, I had, to be, I had to be careful of how I tell this story because I get chucked up every time I hear this, every time I share this story. But he leans his, he leans his 10-year-old head about this tall right onto my stomach. And says, I wish we could have had more time together. I think that was the first time I was so angry at the church. I was so angry. Like this 11-year-old, what did he do? What did he do to deserve this to have something he was so yearning and hungry for like 
this kid was so excited to be in youth group. He sees what we're doing, and he sees the, just the passion and, and, and the hunger for Jesus is there. And he's like, I want in. I want that. And he comes in, and he gets just, just a little sip of it. And now it's taken away. His family has to leave. But he can't understand why. And I remember just turning to a church. I couldn't quite comprehend what was going on. It, the, you know that feeling of shock when things don't quite settle in? When you hurt yourself, there's a momentary of shock where you're not quite able to comprehend what has happened. Now I'm in this state of shock because I'm holding this kid and he's shaking in my arms. And I don't have any words or know what to say. All I can, the only words I seem to be able to mouth out is, I'm sure it'll be okay. And he, and he just wipes away a couple of tears and walks out the door. I'm in a state of shock, not able to quite understand. And then we have our young adult service at 2 o'clock, and I go up early, and I'm sitting up there. And one of my brothers, and he was one of my mentors at the time, he's sitting there you know, getting, like, the PowerPoints and everything ready, and I sit down next to him. And I think when I just sit down next to him, I turn to him, and I kind of, like, briefly tell him what happened. And I think as I'm recounting it and telling to him, the pain begins to slowly, slowly sink in. And I think the only words that could come out of my mouth afterwards was, James, it's not fair I was so angry at the adults because we couldn't figure out our junk because we held on to so much bitterness towards each other at the end of the day who's the real one that got hurt it was him it was our children And I kept landing on, Lord, I don't think I can do this anymore. I don't think I can do this ministry anymore. Because if this is what ministry looks like, you put all this effort into this only for people that are outside your ministry to just mess this up. How can I keep going? And I don't know for, for how many of you have grown up in church and maybe some of you have not only experienced this, been a part of it and seen it yourself. Maybe you've been wounded by it. And you yourself have been the ones that had to walk away. And there's some sort of bitterness and anger. There's a lot of wounding that goes in in our hearts. And somehow, some way, I come back and I, and I go to God and I sit down and pray. And I'm just like, God... What do I do? As I'm wrestling with this, a deacon comes up to me and he shares that he's going to leave the church too. He's actually one of the uh, adult deacons that was heavily supporting the youth group. And he says, I can't trust the church anymore. 
grew up in church, phenomenal, fantastic guy. And he sits down with me. He's about 40 years old. I'm probably about like 22, 23 years old. And this man is coming to me about some spiritual advice. (laughs) I'm not quite sure why you're coming to me. (laughs) I'm 22, 23 years old, just starting ministry. You're asking me, what do I do as the church is about to split? I don't know much. I come back and I land on this one prayer. This one prayer that my mother taught me when I was younger. Had me recited every time we finished praying. And I want to invite you guys to pray this prayer. I want to invite you guys to jump into this, uh, pray this with me as we go deeper into how God calls us to respond to the wounds, the anger, the hurt. And what kind of posture is God inviting you to take? And so would you all stand with me as we read this prayer this morning? It's a prayer that when the disciples came to Jesus, they asked him, Jesus, how do we pray? And Jesus says this in Matthew 6. Would you all join me as we say? Our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today of daily bread and forgive us of our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And let us yield to temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. And all of God's people said, amen. You may be seated. Over the past several years, we've seen I'll switch. Okay. Are we good? Yes. Awesome. Where were we? Oh, yes. Over the past four years, we've seen more anger, more rage, more hatred, more bitterness and aggression towards one another than ever before. And there's these new vocabularies that seems to be scripted and weaponized across what I would call the internet. You have words like cancel and gaslight and to shame. You see like cancel meaning to ostracize or to shun, to boycott, or just stop supporting because someone has acted or spoken in an unacceptable manner towards you and or your beliefs. You have words like gaslighting, which means to manipulate in the attempt to sow self-doubt and confusion in one another. And then you have shame, where when you offend a person, you were offending a person causes them to shut down and cut off the relationship. So each of these have a very strong definition. And they have a heavy accusation that's been adopted into our culture. And too often, we allow our settings to cause us to live in this place of bitterness and unforgiveness. In many ways, we ourselves have created a culture in which forgiveness and restoration is not welcomed or even invited to be present. We don't want it. 
Over the past couple of weeks, we've been jumping into this series called One Another. And today, I want to invite you all, church, to step into what might be one of the toughest things for all of us. Forgiveness. What does it mean? How does it play out? And why is it so important for us? Our passage today leads us to Ephesians chapter 4, verse uh, 31 to 32. And the Word of God says this, Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. And instead, be kind to each other, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. As we're studying through the scriptures of what this is, and when we read this term and study where each one is taken out, a lot of this do come from the epistles and the teachings, the teaching letters from the apostles to the church. And there's something significant because the, church, the author is not actually writing to a secular setting. He's not speaking to a non-faith-based audience, but rather he's actually he's speaking to a group of individuals who claim to know Christ and are filled with the Holy Spirit. He's speaking to the church. And this is significant because sometimes the individuals that we are most critical with and least loving are those who are other Christians. I mean, think about it, right? Oftentimes, those we have the most unresolved conflicts are the ones who are closest to us. I still remember the first time when I just gotten my first job in ministry. And my father is one of my cl- closest friends. He's one of the people I looked up to most. And I, just, and I took my very first paycheck we grew up in Baltimore, and so we're a huge Baltimore Ravens fan. So I took my first paycheck. wasn't a lot, but just enough to buy him a Ray Lewis Ravens jersey. And so if you guys know about the Baltimore Ravens, Ray Lewis is like the man, right? He is the man. He's got his own dance, right? The Ray Lewis dancers, oh, oh, and it comes out, ah, ah, right? <laughs> My dad, every time we see a game, scores a touchdown, that's his dance. I love him. He's my hero growing up. And I remember I bought him the jersey. I was like, Dad, thank you for supporting me through ministry. I know you don't go to church and I'm really big on the whole church thing. But thank you for supporting me through ministry. And I just remember it might have been like three days. Three days after I gotten that jersey, got him that jersey, I was home. And somehow, somewhere, he had misunderstood something that had happened. And so, in order for, in his mind, in his perspective, to teach me a lesson, he cut up the jersey and threw it away. And then when he confronted me about it, I said, no. I didn't say that, and that's not what happened. And he looked, turns to me, and was like, oh, well, whoops.
It goes back to one of those things where, you know, when you get so hurt, you fall into a state of shock. You're not quite sure how to respond. That was left, I wasn't left in that state for a long time. Not quite sure what just happened. And I'm trying to figure out how do I resolve this? See, church, more oftentimes than not, the unresolved conflicts that we have are people that are closest to us the people we trust the most. Look back at my, the, the story I just told you before about I step into, this is my first ministry, and so I look to the elders, I look to the board, I look to the adults, and I look to the lead pastor and all those to be what? The people I can rely on, to trust on. And even for many of us, you might be in a place where you might have some unresolved conflicts with an older sibling. Maybe your parents. Maybe there might be friends that you were once great friends. But now you guys might be as the closest thing might be acquaintances now. Simply by name. These are the people whom you point, that you trusted, that you relied on and held confidence with and even had been vulnerable with. But when we hear the words that Paul is using, bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, church, hear this, slander, or as you might say, gossip. Each of these words are often connected and tied to individuals that, ha that have had enough time, space, and relationship to cause such deep-rooted emotions in all of us. And Paul addresses the harshness of what happens in our interpersonal relationships. And he invites us to remedy it. But when he talks of all these emotions, he uses a specific word. He says, get rid of. Paul tells us to get rid of. What does he mean? To get rid of means to clear out, to dispose of, to throw away in a manner that it cannot be returned. When I was moving out of my child home to make my permanent residence in New Jersey, I still have a Pennsylvania uh, driver's license, but I'm working on the process. <laughs> I am. I promise you, it's going to happen next year. The DMV is not a friendly place. But moving out of my child home to make a permanent residence in New Jersey, I remember a lot of my stuff, you know, I was in college, so I had my college stuff, but there was a lot of stuff I needed to take out because, you know, I was getting married and I got to start making my permanent residence in Jersey. And my sister's helping me clear all this stuff out. And as we're clearing stuff out, You'd be surprised the things you find when you go back home. And so my sister had that, you know, it was like big black garbage bags, right? We had like two of those in my room, and we're just tossing random stuff. It's like, do you need this? No. She's very good at this, by the way. She's very good at this. Very, can be very cold-blooded in that manner. Like, do you need this? No? Boom, before I even can respond. And I just remember there was stuff, there was stuff that, I didn't know I still had. Like, apparently, no, not apparently. I, I know it was there because my sister pulled this box out. She pulls this box out, and she's like, oh, what's this box? I look at the box. I'm like, oh, wow, I didn't know that box was still in existence. It was a box of all my memories in my 
previous relationships before my wife, they were like, oh, what, do you, what do you call those, like remnants, right? <laughs> I don't know, what, whatever it is, right? So it was just like stuff I had stored away. I'm a very sentimental person, so I don't like throwing stuff out. Whatever, guys, stop judging me. <laughs> don't worry, the same face you guys are making towards me is the same face my sister made to me that day. Okay, so you guys don't face me. So my sister is like, why do you still have this? I was like, I don't know. Like, it was a gift. <laughs> like, and she was like, well, you don't need it. I was like, but I mean, she was like, she, she gives me like that side eye, that cold side eye, takes the box, tosses it into the back, but she doesn't stop there. She And she says, I'm doing you a favor. <laughs> that she was. She was what? She was getting rid of it so that it was in a manner that it could not be returned. She was permanently disposing it. And Paul is inviting us to permanently dispose of bitterness, to permanently dispose your rage. To permanently dispose your anger, your harsh words. Get rid of those slanders and all types of evil behavior. Paul is saying to the Christians, throw away the offenses, the harmful emotions that you have toward one another. He's saying stop. Stop the slander. Stop the gossip. Stop the back talk. Paul is saying get rid of your scheming against your offender with the purpose of trapping them and trying to harm them. And a couple of weeks ago when Steve Bailey was up here talking about love, he says, he, he shared in this passage, one of the passages that if you hold any hate towards a brother, you've already what? Committed murder. And Paul's saying, stop. Get rid of permanently dispose we must recognize that all these things in this list are acts of retaliation towards someone who has hurt you and offended you but here's what we must understand we in our innate nature as sinners we also sin against each other what do I mean? Sin is simply when we have wronged both God and one another. It is when we cheat, when we manipulate, when we lie, take advantage of someone else. Sin, if I could summarize it into a simple definition, is when we violate that relationship with each other and God. Sin is anything that brings separation between you and someone else. Just like any action that brings separation between you and God. And so what does Paul offer us to us? He says, forgiveness. You guys hear the word, where there's a will, there's a way? Have you guys all heard that saying, right? Where there's a will, there's a way. 
Forgiveness, Paul says, instead, be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. Where there's a will, there's a way. I Googled this phrase. And Google tells me that it means if someone really wants to do something, they will find a way to do it, even if there are things that make it hard to do. And more often times than not, church, we seem to understand this definition of forgiveness that, well, I need the will to make a way for forgiveness. But could I challenge you that perhaps forgiveness is not the way. But it is the will that creates a path for the way that is Jesus. Let me say that again. Forgiveness is not the way, but it is actually the will that creates a path for the way that is Jesus. See, forgiveness is a person's willingness to excuse a fault or an offense, to pardon or to renounce anger or resentment against. Even the American Psychological Association, they define forgiveness as an involvement of willing, uh, willfully putting aside feelings of resentment towards one another who has committed wrong or been hurtful or unfair. Even outside the church, they understand that forgiveness is the willingness. It begins with our willingness to step in. Forgiveness is God's gift of not holding on to those things. When we illustrate forgiveness, it's almost as if you can invite it as a picture of debt. That's very common. It's a very uh, knowledgeable topic here in America. It's a huge issue for the American household between credit cards, car payments, mortgages, school loans, school loans, school loans. <laughs> mm. I, feel, I feel for all my millennial brothers, right? <laughs> school loans. The definition of debt is something that has to be repaid or there is a consequence. And the vast majority of us in this room understand the weight of debt and how paralyzing it can be when we have it. Feelings of guilt and shame are all tied into how we got into debt and our battle to get out of it. And there's this phrase, forgiving a debt. To forgive a debt is to pardon or to absolve it, which means that there will be no record of it to forgive or to excuse to pardon the offense that someone has done to you it means that you're going to renounce not the offender but the offense we understand that there are people who have wronged us church hear me when i say this there are people who have wronged you who have sinned against you and who have hurt you they have violated that relational foundation of trust and honesty. They have taken away the authenticity and confidence to step into that relationship. 
But could I challenge you, church, for a second? That the bigger question here is how do you understand how God has then forgiven you? Paul invites us and he says, forgive just as God through Christ has forgiven you. The truth is we have all wronged somebody. We have all wronged somebody. Nobody in this room is perfect. There are things that each and every one of you has done that some people may know and some things that nobody may know. Whether you're very good at keeping secrets or you're very good at getting caught, I don't know. But either way, the truth is we have all been there. And Jesus tells us that God has forgiven each and every one of you. And so, therefore, go and forgive others too. Now, this is where, I think this term is the, the, the rubber meets the road, correct? Right? Where the rubber meets the road. First, getting over the hurdle is this. Now, I want to challenge you, church, that perhaps the reason why you might actually struggle with forgiveness is because you actually haven't set, sat in the forgiveness of God yourself. It is so imperative for us to understand this because God has created us to live in relationship with him just as we are to live in relationship with others. But you can't understand forgiveness if you've never received it yourself. I love the way Rob Reamer says this, right? He says, you cannot take someone somewhere you have never been yourself. You, have, you cannot take someone somewhere you have never been yourself. And so you, if you have never sat in the forgiveness of God, I'm not surprised you don't know how to forgive somebody. I'm not surprised that you're still angry. I'm not surprised you're still frustrated and bitter. And in fact, slandering and gossiping about why you're in the right. Seeking out your own form of justice. Romans 5 reminds us, but God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. To experience the forgiveness of God is to experience the love of God. And to experience the love of God allows us to look at one another and their actions and reactions to us through the love and forgiveness he has given us. Jesus teaches his disciples two things about forgiveness when he's teaching us to pray. He says, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Our ability to forgive others is God's ability to forgive us or not to forgive us. Church, it, it brings me no surprise that when we read in Acts... The very first message that Peter preaches for revival is repent. Repent. Repent and be baptized. 
in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. Now, that sounds like a very, like, old-school Billy Graham kind of style of message. But, church, I feel like that's a message that's being lost today. Church, to really sit in how to forgive others, we must first sit in the forgiveness of God. And that comes forth by first repenting for our sins. I don't know when's the last time you got on your knees and said, God, I'm sorry. Father, forgive me. Forgive me for what I have done. When you sit in that forgiveness of the Lord, I will tell you there is a different posture your soul takes. Our desire for the forgiveness of God should be the cry, the example for how we forgive others. So why is forgiveness so vital in our relationships to one another? To understand the gospel, it's not simply how we understand forgiveness granted from God to us, but understanding how we grant forgiveness to those who sin against us. As Christ has forgiven us, we are called to forgive others who sin against us. Colossians 3.13 says this, make allowance for each other's faults. Give space and forgive one another. Forgive anyone who offends you. And remember the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. When I look at my recounts at the church, when I look at the recounts of my own dad, I constantly sat in that frustration of God, it's not fair. It's not fair what, he's, what they did to that child and those kids. It's not fair what my dad did to me. And I just kept landing on Paul. I feel you. Because it's not fair what you did to me either. Paul. I gave my one and only son to die on that cross for you. And you're still out here holding on to this bitterness, this anger and rage. When I've invited you to be free. He, I remember when he, I sat in prayer for this and he said, son, your dad doesn't know me. Your dad doesn't know me. And he's hurt you. And as I wrestled with that, it set me in a posture that said, well, how do I, how do I, what do I do then? And he said, love him and forgive him. And he reminded me what Jesus said on the cross too. Forgive them for what? Forgive them for they do not know what they are doing. 
Church, I cannot promise you that when you forgive those people, the offenders will understand how you may have been hurt. I can't promise you that. But what I can tell you is this, is that when you step into a posture of forgiveness, you will be able to stand in a fast understanding of God's overwhelming love for us. Love emerging from forgiveness changes one's life. It changes that the direction of one's life. It changes where you're going. And so, church, I want to ask you, who is that person today? Maybe it's a Christian brother or sister. Maybe it's a family member or friend who has offended you. By simplified it, who hurt you? Would you choose today to forgive their offenses to you? I want to invite the praise team to come up. But I just want to land on this one last point for whoever may need this. If there's anybody here who may be new to the church or struggling in their relationship with Jesus, maybe there's some of us that there are things that you are wrestling with. And it's our default position as strugglers is to believe that God is disappointed and frustrated with you too. That he's simply tolerating us the way we tolerate others. But the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 1, 7, he says this. He says, no, 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 no. Before the foundation of the earth was laid, he was going to adopt you and make you holy and blameless in his sight. So whether you have a good day or a bad day, God is at work. God has not abandoned you in this difficult season. And how amazing does that make our God that even in our hypocrisy, in our hypocrisy, he is still long-suffering with you. That even when you're holding on to your bitterness, your anger, even though he has forgiven you, he is still sitting there with you. In, in our inability to live out all that he would call you to, to a life of freedom, And we still choose to walk away, walk away with it. He continues to lavish upon you his grace. It says in Ephesians that in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace to which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and understanding. And I love this word lavish. It means to be extravagant, plentiful, over the top. So when the, when the Bible is talking about forgiveness, it is saying his grace in forgiveness is lavish to all of you. Like it's too much. Like it's, 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 this ridiculous, it's a ridiculous amount that's over the top that is out of control. So 
So church, man and woman of God, in Christ but still struggling, wherever you are, could I invite you a reminder? God does not regret saving you. He doesn't regret it. There's nothing you have done, are doing, and will do that surprises him. You cannot surprise God. He knows it all. He sees it all. Both the good and the bad. However, God is not watching where you are now. Watching how you struggle this week. Watching how you stumble and fall, regretting the decision to pay the price in full of what he's done on the cross. There is no sin, past, present, or future that has more power than the cross of Jesus Christ. None. This means that your salvation, your salvation wasn't just a past event alone. It's not something he just did several thousand years ago. But that Christ even now is continuing to forgive you and continuing to save you. He didn't just forgive your past sins and not leaving it up to you to conquer your present sins and your future sins. Which means it doesn't matter how you came in through those doors. It means God can rescue. God can save. It means God can forgive and redeem and it means for those who are in Christ, you do not disgust him. You do not appall him. You might say, well, you don't know what I'm struggling with. You don't know what I've done. I don't. But what I do know is that I imagine that Jesus would say that he has paid the debt in full. He has paid the debts of your sins in full. And that what you're saying, that your sins being too great, is nonsense. There is no sin too great for our Lord Jesus Christ. He is our Savior, our Sanctifier, our Healer, and our coming King. That is the grace in which he lavished upon us in his forgiveness. So would you go forth and lavish others with that same grace of forgiveness today? Thanks so much for joining us today. If this podcast has been helpful for you to know Jesus and make him known, then check out our website for more sermons and other resources. The Plant Church. 